Do you love others? Find out today on Change by Grace. Welcome to Change by Grace. I'm Pastor Steve Herford. Today we're exploring a simple yet profound question about love and its impact on our lives. To do that, we're examining 1 John 4, 7, where we're told that love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Do you know God? Do you love one another? Well, let's find out as we study God's Word. Tonight we have the privilege of looking at a passage of Scripture that is very applicable to us in our daily walk with Christ, something that we are to strive for every day. And it's found in 1 John chapter 4. If you will, please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. A few weeks ago, we looked at chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. Tonight, we're looking at chapter 4, verses 7 through 11. House right there in those verses, in verses 9 and 10, is our Scripture memory verse for this week. John is writing to the Christians in Asia Minor, and he says, beginning at verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins." Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verse 7 begins with, let us love one another. Verse 11 ends with, love one another. It's very clear that the theme of this section is love, and that shouldn't surprise us because it comes from one who is called the Apostle of Love. The Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and Revelation were written by the Apostle John. And in John 13:23, he referred to himself as the one whom Jesus loved. John never got over the idea of Jesus loving him, and nor should we. That he wrote about it in all of his writings. It's very interesting if you... Take some time and you would discover that in the Gospel of John, he mentions the theme of love 51 times. And then if you were to examine his epistles, you would find out that also 51 times the theme of love is mentioned. You go into the book of Revelation, you would see that it's mentioned six times. Now, out of the 51 times that he uses it in his epistles, 45 of those times is referred to in 1 John. 27 of the 45 times occurs right here in chapter 4. That's a lot of times to speak about love. So it's clear that that's his theme. And the love that John mentions is not some kind of feeling or sentimental emotions toward other believers, but it's one which manifests itself in sacrificial service. We are in love, as Paul says, to serve one another. Now that seems to be what John puts all of his attention to throughout this letter. 
Because we learn that when you love someone, you will visibly manifest it in their life. When a husband loves his wife, he's to lay down his life for her and to humbly meet her needs. And when a husband loves his wife, he will do that as Christ loved the church. Now, to John's readers, he has loved them in that same way. He did it first by inviting them into the true fellowship with Jesus Christ. Just look with me over at chapter 1. And you see there in verses 2 and 3, where he says, The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So, He first loved them enough to tell them about Jesus and how that they could possess the eternal life that's in Christ. Secondly, if you look over in chapter 2, verse 26, He loved them by warning them about those who were trying to deceive them, referring to these false teachers. He says, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. False teachers known as the Gnostics, and it comes from the word to know, were those who came into the fellowship and they were seeking to lead them astray from the true true Jesus that had come into the flesh. Anytime when you hear statements that John makes like in chapter 4 and verse 2 when he says Jesus Christ coming in the flesh, he's stating the opposite of what the Gnostics taught. They did not believe that Jesus came in the flesh. They actually believed that He was some phantom, some ghost. And that's why John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Now, the third way that John showed his love for them It's found in chapter 5 and verse 13 when he says this, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. John wanted those who truly knew Jesus Christ to know that they have eternal life because they believe in the name of the Son of God. See, such assurance is not available to those who do not agree or confess that Jesus is the Son of God. So, in summary, notice these things that he points out to them as he demonstrates his love for them. Well, true fellowship is in Jesus Christ. The warning concerning those who were trying to deceive them. And then the assurance of eternal life. And these were the three ways that he loved those believers that are found there in Asia Minor. Now, tonight I want you to see what he says about the obligation that you and I have to mimic that pattern. We are to love one another. We have talked about that so many times. In fact, I would dare to say that every week we talk about it in some way or another. And we give you application of how to do that. But tonight as we look at this passage, we're going to see John mentioning the theme of love just in verses 7-11, through 11, 11 times. And we're going to begin to see what he has to say about our obligation. In the first six verses of chapter 4, he says that we are to test the spirits. In verses 7-11, through 11, he says we are to love one another. Here in verses 1-6, through 6, he says nothing about loving false teachers. But he does say to test their teaching and to test their love. Verses 2 through 15 give us the following 
questions on how to test the spirits. The first question is, did Jesus come in the flesh? And that picks up verses 2 through 6. The second question is, do you love the brethren? And that picks up verses 7 through 14. The third question is, do you confess Jesus is the Son of God? Well, obviously, we can't cover all that. But I do want to narrow in on that second question or that second test. Do you love the brethren? And I believe from this we're going to see three areas pertaining to love that we need to examine tonight. And the first one is found in verse 7 with the exhortation to love. Notice what he says there again. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. And you've heard me say many times as we've been in this this book in previous studies that John is very absolute with his writing. I mean, he's black and white in the way he says it. You either are this or you're not this. And he does it right here again. He says there, let us love one another for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. If you do not love, you do not know God because God is love. See, this whole passage here is addressed to all believers. They're called beloved. Now, we looked at that term when we were studying chapter 3. It's the Greek word agapetos. It means only beloved or esteemed or dear ones. It occurs five times here in 1 John. It occurs in chapter 3, verse 2, verse 21. Chapter 4 here, verse 1, 7, and verse 11. That Greek word agapetos occurs 62 times in the New Testament. A very endearing term. John loved those believers in Asia Minor. He cared so much about them that he was willing to lay down his life. And that's the pattern that we're going to see here that he tells us to do it. We also are to love the brethren in that way. So he calls them beloved. Secondly, he called them to love one another. Now he says there, beloved, let us love one another. And there he includes himself. It's true for the teacher as well as the student. We all are to obey this exhortation. And again, this is not the first time that John gives this kind of exhortation. He actually mentions it for other times. Go with me back into chapter 3. Look at verse 11. For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning. What is that? That we should love one another. Look at chapter 3 and verse 23. And this is His commandment that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. There's no way to skirt around that issue right there. It's certainly a command of God that we love the brethren. And go with me into chapter 4. And we'll cover this verse tonight. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then verse 12, No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. Believers are to love one another. And I want to give you three ways how we are to do that. The first is by sacrificing ourselves. That gets at the heart of the root word for love, because the word love simply means that. 
It means that if I say that I love you, then I'm going to sacrifice myself for you. It means I'm going to humble myself and seek to meet your need. I'm going to put you first, and I'm going to put me second. That's what it really means to love. That's how husbands are to love their wives. Put her first. Treat her like a queen, and guess what? She'll treat you like a king. We've got a lot, of, a lot of men in this world that don't understand that. And so therefore, they're like monks, or at least they think they are, and they, they think that they can't bear with their wife. But listen, they're not understanding what it really means to love. Because see, you can't get that definition of sacrificing yourself or humbling yourself to meet the need of another person from the world. Because the world is running around saying, look out for number one. Look out for yourself. Don't humble yourself. In fact, everything that the world promotes is some form of pride. And see, to truly love one another, you have to be stripped of pride. That can't be in the picture in any way, shape, or fashion. The same way as in the home. The same way as in the marital relationship or the relationship with children. And again, these are things that we have to teach and we have to practice over and over. We are commanded with the one and others in the New Testament to evolve ourselves together in that way. We have to grow in love. Now again, love doesn't mean some kind of sentimental emotion. I have these goosebumps and I have these feelings. In fact, many times we have to love without that, don't we? Because love is not a feeling. It is an action word that speaks of sacrifice. John Trapp said that charity offereth honey to a bee without wings. Think about that for just a moment. As that Puritan preacher makes that statement. Do you step over the bounds in your own personal life to help another person? To reach out to that person? All of us sitting in here have needs of one fashion or another. And you know, many times, and let me just pick on the area that I'm in as a pastor Sometimes people don't think that pastors have needs or their families have needs. And I don't know why they would even think that because we're people. We're, we're human, though sometimes people say that we're not human. We don't act human, but we are that. I guarantee you that. And so we all have needs, right? And I'm not talking about just financial needs. We have other kinds of needs. And yet our duty as believers in the body of Christ is to narrow in on needs. In fact, there are passages that talk about that. There's one that tells us in Romans 12 and verse 13 that we are to distribute to the needs of the saints. Well, that's a pretty big command there, isn't it? And if we're supposed to distribute to their needs, then we need to know what they are, and therefore we have to be sensitive around one another because not everybody goes around and announcing their needs. In fact, in helping homeless people, I tend to say that many of them are shameless in what they do. Because there are some that genuinely have a need and they want help and they don't want to be in that situation. But then there's also the opposite. There are people that are in those situations and they want to be there. And they make you feel like you owe them something. And yet if you go to Hebrews chapter 13, you find out that some entertain angels unaware and you're sitting there debating, well, should I help them or should I not? In most cases, it's best to help them. You see, love, again, it steps over the bounds in your life. It looks at that person. It treats that person with value. And it says, I'm going to love you like I love myself. And that's 
again, a pretty tall order right there, because if you look over in Ephesians, that is exactly what a husband is told to do. As you look there in Ephesians 5.28, he says, So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. And so I think about that many times because if I want to go to the store and I want to treat the flesh and get me something and I think about, well, I've got some other little fleshly people at house that would like to have this too. So sometimes that depicts whether I'll get it as to whether I can afford to get it for everybody. But he goes on to say, verse 29, No one has ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and he cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. See, that's how the relationships are to operate in the body. He even goes on to say, we are members of His body, of His flesh, of His bones. See, He backs it back and forth. He gives it to us there in the relationship of the husband and the wife there in Ephesians 5. And then He gives us this general statement that we are members of His body. You can't walk in here and, and, and not have any kind of relationship with anyone because if you are born again and a child of God, you are interrelated to every person in here. That gives a lot of people a lot of hope because the people that they're close to in their homes, maybe they're still with their parents or maybe they're outside of that parental authority, but they really don't have any kind of relationships with their families in that way. And I'll be honest with you that this is the truest family right here. This is my family. I mean, outside of you, it's, it's the people in my home. And outside of that, it's, it begins to narrow. We are to love one another. And we are to do that by sacrificing ourselves. Go with me to chapter 3 and look at verse 16. He says, By this we know love. By what? That He laid down His life for the brethren. He laid down His life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. If Jesus laid down His life for us, then we ought to lay down our lives for one another. That's what John is saying, very simply put. That is the relationship. It doesn't make any sense to walk in here and say, listen, this is my life. You have no business knowing anything about it. I don't see anything in Scripture that would support that. I actually find the opposite. How can you carry out the one another's? How can you truly love one another if we're to be these so private people that nobody can pry into our lives? It just doesn't work like that. In John 15, in verse 13... Very familiar verse. Jesus says, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. And he says to the disciples, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. He was getting ready to demonstrate the ultimate of love. He was getting ready to lay down his life for them. And beloved, that's the way we're to love. We are to love one another. Over in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, he says there in verse 9, to let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. And then right after that, he says to be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. 
So He's already addressed the hypocrisy in our life to be genuine, be those who truly love, and how you can evaluate your true love and whether it's hypocritical is your view of evil and your view of good. You are to cling to what is good. So you have that understanding in mind. Then you can now be kindly affectionate to one another with a brotherly kind of love. And, and what does that mean? Well, he says there, the rest of verse 10, in honor, giving preference to one another. Preferring the other over yourself. See, that's true love. Over in Philippians chapter 2, Paul says this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but with lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Wow. That's a pretty profound definition of love. So if I'm truly loving the body, I'm truly loving the brethren, then I'm going to look out for their interest. I'm going to think about their needs. I'm going to think about their life. And I'm going to think about that more than I think about myself. Now, doesn't that take you back even to what Jesus said there in Luke 9, 23 and 24? He said, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. And take up his cross, how long? Daily. And follow me. This, in essence, is the gospel. This, in essence, is how we are to do that. We are to love one another. And again, John gives us the reasons of how to do that. We do that by sacrificing ourselves. We do that, secondly, by meeting each other's needs. In chapter 3, he says there in verse 17, after he has just said about laying down your lives for the brethren, he says that whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? I mean, if you look at that brother or that sister who has needs and you just send them on their merry way, how can you say that you're a child of God? I had to confront a pastor with that verse right there one time. And he was furious. And I said, well, listen, isn't that what you're doing? Aren't you just sending that person on their way? Aren't you just loving them in word and not in deed? See, again, just use the, the, the marital realm. Just use the, the realm of the home. If I just walk around all the time saying, I love you, I love you, and I just go on my, very, my merry way and I do nothing to show that, after a while, people are going to begin to question that. Because love meets needs. Love is an action word. Love does and he says that in verse 18, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So he says there, loving one another, you do that by sacrificing yourself. Number two, you do that by meeting each other's needs. And number three, you do that by loving God and keeping His commandments. See, this is really where it all begins. If you go with me to chapter 5, look at verse 2. He says, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. You want to know if you're truly 
a child of God? Do you love God? Do you love His commandments? Do you love the brethren? Do you love the children of God? Do you love one another? I mean, these are valid tests. And again, it's more than just saying it. It's loving in deed and in truth. A.W. Tozer, he writes this, The final test of love is obedience. Not sweet emotions, not willingness to sacrifice, not zeal, but obedience to the commands of Christ. Do you obey His Word? So John says in this exhortation, verses 7 and 8, he says that we are to love one another. Now, notice what he says there in verse 7. He tells us that it comes from God. See, the love that he's talking about here doesn't come from the world. It comes from God. Again, the world doesn't love in this way, and the world can never love in this way. And any time the world seeks to demonstrate this kind of love, again, it it has something else behind it. It has a different motive. It has the kind of motive of manipulation and using a person. Because the goal is not the other person. The goal is myself. See, if I love in that way, I'm not loving as God has commanded me to love. I'm not loving with, quote, divine love. And John says right here, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And that gives us the whole basis for the command. Let's think about that for just a moment. When we think about love is of God, well, love is certainly God's nature. It's inherent in all that He does. Even His judgment and His wrath is perfectly harmonized with His love. Sometimes people, when they seek to try to understand God, they start right there and they say, well, the Bible says that God is love. Well, yes, that's true. It says it in 1 John 4.8. It says it in 1 John 4.16. But if you start on that basis and you don't have a proper definition of His kind of love, then you're not going to understand as you read the Bible. Because you read in the Bible that He killed people. Not just men, but women. And not just men and women, but also children. I was thinking about that today. How that Israel was told when they were to go into those nations and to, first of all, dispossess those nations, the nations that they would possess, they were to kill everyone. Even the children. Why? Because those children would eventually become young men. And they would also become those who would be a thorn in the flesh of the Israelites that would turn against them. Or seek to lead them into evil. You take that with Solomon and all the concubines and wives that he had. Over 800 of them. And it turned his heart from God. Not just the fact that he had that many of them, but they came from pagan nations. And they didn't worship the living God. They worshiped their false gods, the Baals and the Astaroths. And it turned his heart from God. You've been listening to Beloved, Love One Another from 1 John 4, 7-11. To receive a copy of this message in one full-length CD, give us a call at 904-651-3351 or download the free MP3 from our website at changedbygrace.org. Well, I'm Pastor Steve Herford. I do want to thank you for joining us today. And I hope that you'll join us again next time as we study together from God's Word. Are you being fed the Word of God? If not, I'd like to invite you to join us this morning at 11 o'clock at Eastport Baptist Church. 
Hi, I'm Pastor Steve Herford. Eastport Baptist Church is biblical, expository, and reformed. Well, why not find out for yourself and join us? I look forward to meeting you.